The Rainbow Door is a free, culturally safe, specialist helpline for all LGBTIQA Victorians. The helpline provides information, support and referral from experienced peer workers on issues including mental health, family violence, relationships, suicide prevention and sexual assault. For information, support and referral, call the Rainbow Door on 1-800-729-367. That's 1-800-729-367, 10am to 6pm every day. Switchboard is a 3CR supporter. when I found a Food Not Bombs flyer on the road and I had like this feast with a carrot and carrots are my favorite vegetable. Yeah, I think they were asking for help doing stuff and I got in touch. We, I guess, rescue food. That would otherwise go to waste. I like the aspect of sharing food and um, not making anyone feel obligated to pay anything for it. We make a real point at Food Not Bombs of involving everyone who wants to be involved in whichever part they want to be involved in. For more information, go to fnbmelb.noblogs.org. Food Not Bombs is a 3CR supporter. Bring me shelter, I will not harm you. Bring me shelter, please. Bring me shelter, I will not harm you, I would shelter you. People would do anything for their families. It could happen to anyone anytime. Somebody in France, somebody in England basically sat down with a ruler and just drew lines on maps. There are many different ethnic and religious groups that have been divided across borders and this has caused a significant amount of conflict. There are a lot of people who need safety. It is really cruel for a country like Australia to have policies that are focused only on pushing people away. What we're seeing is a number of people that remain in a state of limbo. And when non-sustainable land use combines with climate change, the crisis of refugees. I wasn't able to go and play with children. I had to go and really be an adult from a very young age. I think that's something that a lot of migrant children can relate to. Really, it was a dream for me to reunite with my family. I was just praying and hoping that that day will come one day. I think it's very important for people to understand that people have their own dreams as well and they're wanting to change the world with everybody else. Refugee Radio, 8.55am, 3CR. I want to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land who we are broadcasting from, the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, and respect the elders past, present and emerging and their ongoing struggle. Welcome to Refugee Radio on 3CR 855am or on 3cr.org.au. So we've been listening to The Wait podcast for a few months now and we're going to be listening to the final episode and this week we're going to be listening to the first part. If you haven't been listening along, The Wait is a podcast which is produced in Indonesia 
by refugees who are stranded there due to the Australian government's policies. We'll be listening to episode five now. The Wait was recorded in Indonesia and produced on the lands of the Darawal, Wurundjeri and Bunurong peoples, whose sovereignty was never ceded. We pay our respects to their elders, past, present and emerging. This episode contains references to suicide. Listen with care. So it's been 13 days. My dad is already looking like a caveman because of all the beard that he grew. He's not eating well. He's not getting up or talking or doing things much. It's just like a piece of meat fallen on the bed. I'm Mojgan Mahrafizadeh. I'm Nicole Kirby. This is The Wait a podcast series that uncovers how Australia is pushing its borders out and brings you into the lives of refugees like me who are caught on the borderline in Indonesia. In our final episode, we look to the future. How do you imagine the future when the present is completely unsustainable, the possibility of a new life or resettlement impossible, and you can't turn back? Yeah, this is the question I ask myself every single day for the last seven years. It's what has given me depression, anxiety, and stomach ulcer, and all the bad things in the world, and it has torn my family apart. So, I'm out of the interview. It wasn't an interview, basically. She started explaining that we will never get resettled. So he just took off? He said he wants to go ban himself in front of you in That's the last thing you said. That resettlement interview at UNACR took place over a year ago now. We didn't think it was fair what happened that day, and we lodged a complaint, but we didn't get anywhere with it. You're still really upset about it now. Yeah, I can't let go of it. That day you called me in the middle of it all. What happened when you hung up? from me. I called you on ACR to just let the security know that my dad is going there and ask him to stop him, calm him down so that my mom and brother can arrive there because they were closer. But instead they contacted the police and my dad was intercepted by police outside of the UNHCR building. My mom and brother arrived there and they found my dad sitting in front of the UNHCR building crying. The policeman was giving him a hug and telling him that it will be okay. What happened with your dad after he was taken home that day? A few months later, he went back to UNHCR hoping that they will tell him something different, but they told him their decision remains the same. Come with me, doctor. He attempted suicide again, this time by starving himself. He starved himself for weeks. We had to forcibly take him to a psychiatric hospital because that was the only option available. So we are going to the pharmacy now to get the medication. The doctor said that because the signs of depression with medication didn't really become less, it's, it hasn't been effective. And my dad started crying when she asked how are you. 
And after that, he didn't leave the house for the next five months. It's April 8, 2019. I woke up today so frustrated from all of the nightmares I had. I just cannot forget all of the words and the bullshit that keeps repeating and repeating in my head. Even with the strong sleeping medication that I'm taking, I still cannot sleep peacefully. And my face is falling off. I know it sounds dramatic, but that's how it feels. It's swollen everywhere. It's painful. To move my mouth is painful. My tongue is numb. My eyelids look uneven because they're so swollen. Tomorrow I have a counseling appointment at UNACR. And I have zero willingness to go there. Because it makes me feel like absolute shit to go there from that nasty back door and this dirty, smelly street and the heats and seeing refugees there sleeping in those tents. This whole dirty political game, the governments who are just playing with humans' lives all over the world. It's just nasty. And I want to be strong, I want to continue, but it's so hard. It's already 11 at night. And I have a whole nighttime routine for my face and my mental health and for my private areas that are sick for my UTI. Just like this really old person who is in their 90s with my bag of medicine. For me and probably most other refugees, going anywhere near the UNACR building just makes us feel sick. We have to enter from the side door, you know, or we have to wait in front of it for hours. And generally, it's got a lot of negative associations. We go there hoping for solutions, hoping we get a good news. If anything, when we go there, our hopes are mostly squashed. It's not easy to make an appointment, and if I finally do get one, there's always one thing that is offered, always available, always on the table. Thinking about going home? We are here to help. We are the International Organization for Migration. We are an independent organization that provides a completely free migration service called Assisted Voluntary Return and Reintegration, or AVRR. It's the offer of a free ticket home and $2,000 on arrival. We'll be there to help every step of the way to make sure that you have a safe journey home. Each year, we provide this free migration service to lots of people just like you. The first step is easy. This online video is put out by IOM to promote the scheme. It's an animation and it shows people hopping on planes with suitcases, ready to fly home. We'll have your tickets ready and our airport staff will help you through the check-in and immigration process. Whenever I go to UNHCR, I always warn them not to tell me to go back to my country because I can't. 
but it's something that we all had to think about at some stage. It is a decision that some refugees and asylum seekers make. In 2018, over 450 people in Indonesia accepted ABRR, and last year it was more than 250. Hello. One of them was Omid. Omid. He is a Hazar asylum seeker who I met in Jakarta. He volunteered to help out at the dental care clinic that I organized. And we couldn't track you down, Omid, and then we found that you'd gone back to Afghanistan two months ago. Can you tell me why you decided to go back? Yes, miss. Uh, in Indonesia, I just uh, have a little money. When our money is finished, we don't have any other way to survive there. My wife was pregnant and I lost my son. I first met Omid when his wife was pregnant and they were sleeping in front of UNACR in Jakarta. They got in touch to ask for assistance and at the time he had a two-year-old also that had a brain injury. So I tried connecting them up with a few friends who could assist them, but then his wife went into labor very short after that. She was about seven months pregnant. So the baby was born premature and the baby died after a couple of weeks. And just we decided that Afghanistan is not secure. Afghanistan is the worst security, but we have to come back to Afghanistan Was it hard to make that decision to go back? When we decide to go back to Afghanistan, we sign our debt. We are going to Afghanistan for dying, not for anything else. When you decided to go back and you went to UNACR, what did they tell you? Didn't they tell you it might not be safe for you to go back? They ask us, are you safe in Afghanistan? I said, no, you know that no one is safe in Afghanistan, especially me. And I want to go back. They said, okay, just like this. Omid went back to Kabul. Just uh, one week or two weeks ago, in 100 meters of my home, there was a big explosion, a bump, suicide attacker, whom just shake. Too many people killed and there was a dark smoke and everything was broken down. The bodies was on the street. The UN's assistance mission in Afghanistan puts out regular reports on civilian casualties and their most recent one was for the first half of the year. They said they're concerned about deliberate targeting of civilians and ongoing attacks on Shia Muslims, so that's Hazaras. Kabul was the second most dangerous province. Nearly 350 people were killed or injured there in just six months. As we're recording this, there was a suicide bombing on an education centre in Kabul. It was in a Shia area and it killed at least 24 people. So, what's the thinking with AVR? You know, it can go two ways. It can be positive, it can be negative. So what I think is, if somebody can return safely, it would be a shame if the cost of a ticket would stop them from being able to go back home safely. But there's a downside to it, because it's also not uncommon that refugees feel pressured 
to accept AVRR because their situation in Indonesia is just so bad. Omid isn't the only Hazara person that we spoke to who said UNHCR told them it was safe, even though they felt it wasn't. That's a sad story for sure. When I interviewed the UNHCR representative to Indonesia, Anne Maiman, for episode one, I also asked her about Omid's situation. Does UNHCR consider it safe for refugees and asylum seekers to return to Afghanistan at the moment? Uh, You know, there are many locations in Afghanistan that are not safe, and the situation in Afghanistan is, uh, is very, very volatile. For an Afghan to decide to return, it will often be because of very specific uh, personal reasons. They might have a family member who is sick. You're right. It was because he'd lost a baby. and The personal reasons were life was so difficult in Indonesia. Mm. I mean, I would say that that's not a good uh, motivation, unfortunately, because at least they are, they are in safety here. But it is difficult for many. I fully acknowledge that. But I would hope that no more refugees would leave Indonesia just because it's frustrated and that they reach that level of despair. I just hope there are no more and we will work towards that. Okay, so let's clear things up. UNHCR is the one who has to approve the return, but IOM coordinates the AVRR program in Indonesia. So like other IOM activities to do with refugees in Indonesia, the shelters that I visited in other episodes, for instance, this program relies on Australian government funding. Are you able to meet the needs of refugees and asylum seekers who are in the country? We are not able to meet the full range of needs of a human being. We are not a well-funded operation. But we actually have received some funding from Australia recently to help with the COVID-19 response on the health side. On mental health, we have some psychosocial counsellor, but I don't think it's adequate and I think more needs to be done. I mean, we try and work more with the communities. Uh, There are many refugee learning centres that are doing some very excellent programmes, so we have activities with them. And I think that can help, but more needs to be done. There is a lot of mental health issues, also because of frustration. That is also, you know, sometimes turning into anger, which is natural because of just sitting and waiting. In 2018, the UN General Assembly affirmed the Global Compact on Refugees. It's been a big process and it's a complex thing, but in short, it's aiming to more evenly share responsibility for refugees and asylum seekers and give more support to countries that host refugees. 85% of refugees live in developing countries. Indonesia isn't the only country in this position. And it's also meant to be about increasing refugee self-reliance, like promoting refugee-led initiatives like mine and the other ones that we talked in this series. Indonesia endorsed the agreement, but Australia didn't. And in the recent federal budget, the Australian government reduced its humanitarian intake by over a quarter. Is this consistent with a trend that we're witnessing on a broader scale? Are we seeing more refugees and asylum seekers stuck in what were traditionally transit countries for the long term and less being resettled globally? Like you've come from working in Europe and Greece. Yeah, that is a trend. That is a trend that has been in the making uh, over the years. Turkey is the biggest hosting uh, refugee country now with over 4 million refugees. But in 2016, the EU stroke a deal with uh, Turkey where they would be allowed to send back 
refugees and asylum seekers that would arrive to Greece. That's a very difficult situation for the refugees. And then you have another deal between EU and Libya, where now you have boats that are in European waters being sent back to Libya, to a terrible situation. People are kept in detention center there. They're being beaten. They're being abused. There are similarly things going on between U.S. and Mexico. So the trend is to defer responsibilities and then giving a lot of money to those countries. Is there likely to be a shift in the rights that refugees and asylum seekers hold in Indonesia? Honestly, I think that there is no other option from the humane point of view. You have refugees now that have been here for a long time. We are talking since 2012, some of them. And they have not been doing anything other than waiting. It's terrible to think about. You know, refugees have just seen their life pass by waiting to be resettled. So I would say that there is no other choice from the humane point of view than to give refugees access to livelihood opportunities. But there's also no other option from a, from a financial point of view because it is very expensive to care for refugees. You give refugees the tools through which they can earn and care for themselves. That's a better model. What are the barriers? Why isn't that happening? Or It's happening slowly. Last year, we had the Ministry of Education that issued a decree giving access to refugee children to go to public schools. There are developments, positive developments on different fronts. But I think one of the barriers is there needs to be an acceptance among the Indonesian decision makers. They see Indonesia more as a transit country. I think there is also something that lies in those ties between Indonesia and Australia that have been built over the years based on the Australian refugee policy. That setup has then also put Indonesia into that role of not having an independent refugee policy on their own. It can be seen as Australia is just pushing the problem of the refugees to Indonesia, right? I mean, there there can be that perception. But at the end of the day, you know, we are talking about human beings. They are sitting and just seeing their life pass by. The issue is also that that funding is urgently needed. I mean, the reality is the Australia funding is helping all those refugees here. So I'm not saying that everything would be better if Australia didn't fund, right? I mean, there should be more funding provided even. I mean, are sort of both of those things true in a way, that that funding is needed in Indonesia, but it's also a detrimental policy in a way. Australia is deferring its responsibility. Somehow, yeah. But I also don't think that it's fair to say that all those nearly 14,000 we have here, they should just be sent to Australia. I mean, I also think that Indonesia needs also to take its part of responsibility. I don't think the solution is that all refugees in the region should just go to Australia. Of course not. But both Australia and Indonesia could do more for refugees. Is that what you're saying? Absolutely. Absolutely. Much, much more. Somalis we like to dance. My culture, we like to dance in the room, so I get the permission. I said, can I dance today? Then they said, okay, now they allow me. (laughs) 
so they don't like to dance inside the rooms. But now they try to learn, yes. The Indonesians try to learn the Somali dance with you? Yeah. <laughs> and we teach them, then we laugh. <laughs> so it's a kind of good relationship to my neighbour. Mojgan, you just kind of refuse to accept the idea that you'll be stuck in Indonesia forever. You're in a constant battle against that. But there are people who are more resigned to accepting that fate. Because I have a small wifey and I have a small speaker, it's called Yoyo. So Yoyo, when he started, everyone become happy. <laughs> There's always four or five people here and children hanging around. My room is free for everyone. Nemo. Even saying her name makes you smile. When I'm dancing, I'm more fun. When I'm distributing food, I'm so serious. I'm like a hardworking woman. Yeah. When I'm teaching, I'm like, teacher, I don't say. Nemo has many dimensions. <laughs> Nemo is just a straight-up inspiration to me. She's full of perseverance, positivity, strength. She's 29 now, and she studied public health back home. <laughs> The Wait was written and produced by Nicole Kirby and co-hosted by me, Mojgan Marafizadeh. Michael Green is the co-writer and supervising producer. Sound design and mixing by Beg Fari. The Wait was produced in conjunction with The Guardian and first aired on their Full Story News podcast with editorial support from Miles Martignoni at The Guardian Australia. Support for this project was provided by the Walkley Public Fund and a Judith Nielsen Institute freelance grant for Asian journalism. A big thank you to everyone who shared their story for this series. And thanks also to Tesserex, Gem Rommel, Trish Cameron, Andre Dow, Donnie Marmer, Patrick Tumeau and Ben Doherty. Theme music by Emma Davis. Thanks for listening to this series. If you liked us, leave us a rating and review. There are also photos, videos and more information on our website, theweightpodcast.com. Hi, this is Rafiv Ziada, and you're listening to 3CR, pro-Palestinian, happily proud radio. You're on Refugee Radio on 3CR, listening on 855am or on 3cr.org.au, or wherever you may get your podcast from. So we've just been listening to part of episode 5 from The Wait podcast. And we're going to be listening to part two next week. You can also listen to the full podcasts on theweightpodcast.com. That also has more information about each of the episodes and about the team who produces it and their supporters. So listen next week for the final episode, part two from the white podcast slavery is back welcome to a place where private business profit from a captive labor force yet pennies are spent on medical services to a population in which the indigenous the poor and the mentally ill are overrepresented where isolation humiliation and degradation are facts of life welcome to prison depends who's telling the story, I suppose. The prisoners would have one view, the people who work in the prison system would have another, and I think it's up to people to decide uh, where the truth is. Give government propaganda 
and the media spin doctors, The Flick. And check out Doin' Time for news, views and tunes on prison issues from Guantanamo Bay to Christmas Island to prisons and detention centres everywhere. Every Monday at 4pm on your community radio, 3CR. We are still fired up and we're still talking about revolution. If you or someone you care for is struggling with a mental illness or other disability and you need someone to talk to, you can call the Wellways Helpline. Wellways Helpline is a volunteer support and referral service that provides information to people experiencing mental health issues or other disabilities, as well as their family, friends and carers. We're here to talk if you are feeling socially isolated, seeking information about mental health or mental health services, or just need someone to talk to. As a peer-based service, everyone working at Wellways Helpline has a lived experience of mental health issues or disability. Wellways Helpline is a national service and operates Monday to Friday, 9am to 9pm, excluding public holidays. So if you're struggling yourself or are struggling to help someone else, please call Wellways Helpline on 1300 500. That's 1300 500. Wellways supports 3CR. <laughs> 